Hello everyone, welcome to this episode of Opera After Dark. Still happening. Oh, that's the name of the sword. Did, did she glue it back together? Isn't it in pieces? Oh, we'll get to that. So she like super glued it back together. There's no super glue. <laughs> you don't know that. It's a land of gods and dragons and rhine maidens. They don't have fucking super glue. Well, I know that it's not glue because there's, like, a whole scene about forging in, like, a metal forging place. Oh, so it's, like, smelted. (laughs) Yes, it's smelted back together. (laughs) Who smelts it? Never mind. We'll get to that. We're talking about Siegfried. This is Siegfried. This is opera number three of the Ring Cycle. Siegfried, who I've never seen in pictures, because I've never seen these operas, portrayed as anything other than a man that has all his limbs. Um, <laughs> Why would he not have his because limbs? Because he's a child of incest. Our brother and sister. Oh, right. <laughs> yes. Genetically, something should we be weird weird with him? Although I guess in Game of Thrones, all those kids are okay and they're twins. Well, are they really okay? Like, like Joffrey physical, was, well, physically, physically they, were okay. they were okay. Joffrey was a little <laughs> woohoo, but I mean. They as well, right? Poor Tommen. I know, Tommen. Oh. So he had his own issues, you know. I know. Mainly Tom from and... being manipulated. He was a nice yeah. boy. Was a little he was nice, a nice boy. boy. But back to Game of not Game of Thrones. <laughs> <laughs> back to Game of Thrones. Back to the Ring Cycle. Mm. Game this... of the Ring Cycle. No, I want to talk about Game of Thrones. I know you want to talk about Game of Thrones, but we're Lord only of the Ring more... of Thrones. Lord of the Ring of Thrones. I know we're only getting more complicated in the opera plots of the Ring Cycle. So. We got to charge forth. Um, All right. So this Very opera... quickly, the source material for this opera actually differs slightly from the other two because in the other two, Wagner draws mainly on Norse mythology. But in this one, he actually draws quite a bit from a fairy tale in the collection by the Brothers Grimm. Oh. Um, a fairy tale called The Story of the Youth Who Went Forth to Learn What Fear Was. Oh. And he mixes that with elements from the Volsunga sagas and the poetic Eddas um, from Norse and Icelandic mythology. But really the character of Siegfried and the kind of idea of a boy who doesn't know what fear is and he's like the bravest of everyone and he needs to learn what fear is comes from this particular Brothers Grimm fairy tale. I think I've read that. No, do you... You will not know this. Kyle probably won't know this either because he's too young. But <laughs> what are you trying to say? No, for like two years, Jim Henson had a a show, a syndicated show on TV called the Jim Henson Muppet Hour, and the first half hour were like backstage antics with like Kermit and all these people, and then the second half was um oh what was it called? It was called the Storyteller, and it was um. They did a bunch of, like, really old, really weird fairy tales, like, live action with actors. And then, like, Jim, mm. like, the uh, 
the Henson like creature workshop doing all of the uh the, like the fantastical characters and things like that. And they're actually amazing. You can see them, find them on YouTube. You should watch them. But I think this is one of them. Oh, the, okay. the boy who has no fear. The boy who has no fear. Yeah. Yes. Anywho, they're so. beautiful. <laughs> anyway, no, it's good that we get some added context here because, you know, it's a relatively short opera. We probably won't have much to talk about. <laughs> yeah. It's like 20 minutes when it boils down to the essential stuff. Oh. <laughs> So what's the time difference between Die Valkyra and Siegfried? So when the curtain falls at the end of Die Valkyra, you have Sieglinda has picked up the pieces of the sword. Her lover slash brother slash father of the child that she's pregnant with Mm -hmm. is now dead. And she kind of flees the scene or flees that area to try and save herself and the child at the end of that opera. Right. And Brunhilde's in a ring of fire. Brunhilde is put to sleep inside a ring of fire. When Siegfried, the opera, opens, Siegfried, who is the son of Sieglinda and Sigmund, mm-hmm. he is now, like, at least a teenager. So, like, probably, like, 16 to 18 years old. So... Oh, wow. Yeah, there's a, there's a chunk of time that's passed. It's been a while. It's been a while, yeah. And also we uh, we learn that basically Zieglinda died giving birth to Siegfried. So oh, no. Yeah, that also did. like happened in, in the in-between. And so I almost said in the, what's the thing from um, Stranger Things? In the, the Upside Down. The upside Down, <laughs> yes. <laughs> that would be interesting too yes. if we talked about Stranger <laughs> Things. Yes. That could be a fun opera. Ooh. That would be hard. There's lots of children in it, and Elspeth doesn't like children on stage. Well, I was going to say, when you talked about how old Siegfried was, how opera is the only art form where it's conceivable that a 45-year-old can play a 16-year-old. That's true. <laughs> yes. Yes. Right. I don't know for sure if he's 16, but like he's at least 16 because he's now... Let's say 16. Like a brave, fearless right. youth. He's had his bar mitzvah. He's a man, so he's <laughs> right. at least over the age of 13. <laughs> yes. Uh. So we learn that he has been raised not by his own mother because she died giving birth to him. Um, he's actually been raised by a dwarf named Mima. Okay. Mima is the brother of Alberich. Right, right, right. Interesting. We heard about Nima before. And Nima heard- or Mima? Mima. Mima. So it's mime, M-I-M-E. Ah, yeah. gotcha. Mima. And so Mima has basically raised Siegfried as his foster child with the sole intent of trying to train him to be, like, brave enough, strong enough, uh, willing enough to kill Fafner the dragon who's literally sitting on the gold and sitting on the ring and all of the other treasures from the Rhine gold. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and Fafner remember has transformed himself into a giant dragon. He used the Tarn helm, the magic helmet, magic hat to turn himself into, <laughs> yeah, a, dra- into a dragon. So if he, this is a question that probably is unimportant and you cannot answer because it's never addressed. Has he been a dragon for so long that he can no longer change back? That I don't know, but I feel like the reason he turns himself into a dragon is so that he's like the most fearsome creature sure. who's unbeatable, right? So he has no desire to be turned back into a human because then he might be Just more vulnerable. Be a man again. Well, I don't think he longs he was to be a gi- man again. He was, he was never a, giant. a man, that's right. Yeah. Yes, he was a giant. He was a giant. Yeah. 
Um, so he's even more uh, powerful as a dragon, a giant dragon. <laughs> right? Dun, dun, dun. So Mima has all of the pieces of the sword, no tune, that... Oh, so she gave it to... Yes. Basically, like, when... Her baby. She was, like, on her deathbed. Right. She, like, basically left Siegfried the baby with all of the pieces of the sword. Mm-hmm. Right? And so... If you need more information on that, you're going to have to listen to a few episodes ago when we talked about Divalcuta. Right. And so... Me, but Mima doesn't necessarily understand immediately the importance of this particular sword. So he has been forging swords for Siegfried, basically Siegfried's whole adolescent and teenage life. Well, he and needs like baby swords to practice on. Th- like this is baby true. Baby size swords, right? Baby size swords, since he's raising, you know, the person who's going to kill the dragon, <laughs> right? Um, but basically, <laughs> like, and Mima so is a metalsmith, right? <laughs> Baby size. It sounds like a great sword. childhood. <laughs> I have that to little admit baby that armor and he goes running around. He's like, ah! <laughs> <laughs> I'd watch as that as a child. That I, I was, would watch. Mm-hmm. I was infatuated by like toy weapons. This sounds really um, no. So was my brother. It sounds really odd, but like when I would go to like the Ren Fair. Or like mm-hmm. even when I went to mm-hmm. La- Las Vegas as a little kid, you know, I always wanted my souvenir was like some sort of like, <laughs> like sword, <a> sword, <laughs> like a sword or like a, well, yeah. and then at the Ren Fair I got some uh, like wooden ones even. Oh, it's, those got, are very painful. Yeah, right. Things things got intense. Yeah, <laughs> my brothers were only allowed to have foam swords, so they didn't hurt that much. <laughs> yeah, oh, well, that's, that's for the it. best. But yeah. yeah, wood swords are good for, you know, thwacking people. Right. I'm just jealous of little Siegfried growing up with all of these different well, swords. Well, I, I wouldn't be too I wouldn't be too jealous because you you can sense pretty early on in this opera that the relationship between Siegfried and Mima is not great. Aww. Like they they That's a shame. at the core of it they hate each other and the only mm. reason that Mima kept raising Siegfried without like killing him or abandoning him was because he had hopes of recovering the ring through Siegfried Mm. so there's like ulterior motives to this and uh Mima is a metalsmith or he has like a forgery or whatever like a I don't know blacksmith blacksmith shop metalsmith shop and so he has been forging new swords for Siegfried Siegfried's whole youth and adolescence and then Siegfried goes out to hunt with them and he breaks them and he keeps bringing them back being like this sword sucks it broke again right <laughs> no and wonder they have a bad relationship they have it's a like, bad relationship your swords suck dad I hate not your really dad. my dad right you're not my dad <laughs> you're not my real dad and so <laughs> We see a scene where Siegfried returns from hunting with, like, a bear in tow, a dead bear that he got and, like, brings oh, the broken Jesus, sword. That's terrible. Yeah. And he's, well, he's a hunter, right? That's what he, that's what he does. Are going to eat that bear? I'm, I'm assuming so. Like, Are they going to use, like, you... all of the parts of that bear so there's no waste? They're going <laughs> to use the so. belt, they certainly, definitely. Yeah, they're, like, dressed like that anyway. Fine. All right. <laughs> um... And so he returns, he brings the broken sword, and he's like, another one broken, it's ridiculous. And Mima is like, you are the most ungrateful child. And they get into, like, a fight, and Siegfried kind of wonders aloud, like, why do I keep coming back to this man who I hate and who obviously hates me? Mm. Um, I despise him. Um, 
And he's like, the reason why is that I want to know more about my parents because I don't know who I am. And he's the only person that might have clues about who I am. And then... Classic angsty teenager. Right. And so then, essentially, Siegfried is like, like, tell me who, what you know about my mother or about my parents and, like, why do I keep breaking all of these swords? Right. And then Mima says to him... All right, I'll tell you. Um, your mother, Ziglinda, died giving birth to you. And uh, basically, when I found you, you were uh, with these pieces of a sword. And the pieces of the sword are Notung. And so Siegfried is like, huh, interesting. Why don't you take the pieces of that sword and reforge them back together? Because maybe that sword will be like my sword and I won't be able to break it. Mm-hmm. And Mima is like, well, I'll try this. And so he tries to forge the sword, but he actually can't do it. He can't get the pieces to come back together again. And so Siegfried kind of leaves the the forgery, the, the metalsmith shop. Um, and Mima is in despair because he was hoping that this might be, you know, getting one step closer to having Siegfried recover the ring. Right. So end act one, scene one. I should just say... Oh, I got so excited for a second. I was like, act one, done. Nice. No, 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 no. This it. opera is in three acts, and each act has three scenes. Oh, oh boy. Yeah, yeah. Okay. All right, and, moving on. And they're Wagner scenes. They're Wagner scenes, yeah. So now, scene two. An old man wanders onto this scene. Oh, I wonder who this is. Who do we think it is? Votan. Yeah. Votan. And he's like, I am a wanderer. And then... He basically wanders into Mima's area and he starts asking Mima a bunch of questions. And the dwarf Mima basically says to him, um, he's like, huh, I don't really know much about you. So you should like prove your knowledge. Name the different races that live um, beneath the ground on the earth and in the skies. And then the wanderer is like, that's easy. The Nibelungen, the giants and the gods. And then the wanderer says to Mima, how about this? How about now I ask you a question and you see if you can answer. And so he asks Mima, what race is most beloved by the god Votan, but most harshly treated? Number one. Question number two, name the sword that can destroy Fafnir the dragon. And question number three, Name the person who can repair the sword. Now, the first two questions Mima answers correctly. He says, I know the race that is most beloved by Votan, but treated the most harshly. It's the Valsungs. And we learned all about them in Die Valkyra, right? Zygmunt and Sieglinda, mm-hmm. who were actually fathered by Votan and some Volsung woman. And Mima says, I also know the name of the sword. The sword is Notung. But he says, I'm not really sure who's able to actually reforge Notung because I've tried and I can't do it. And so I don't know who is the person who can actually oh, bring I know it back who it together. Is. Who is it? Alberic. Wrong. Oh, shoot. Not Alberic. Where, where is Alberic? <laughs> um, not not here. Right now? Okay. Never mind. Yeah. Forgive me for guessing. <laughs> So then um, Votan says to Mima, well, even though you didn't, an- you couldn't accurately answer all three of my questions, we're not going to kill you, but I'll actually tell you that 
Solid. The only person who can reforge no tung is the person who does not know fear. And then he says to him, but you're, the price you're going to pay for not being able to answer my riddle is that the person who does not know fear, who will reforge no tung and be able to steal back the gold from Fafner, is also the same person that's going to behead you, essentially, or kill Damn. you. Damn. Oh, Rough. shit. Yeah. So then... We move to scene three. Mima is basically whining and crying because... Uh, <laughs> I'm gonna die. Yeah, he imagines how ferocious Fafner is. And uh, he's also, like, afraid about all the things that the Wanderer told him. And so, at this point, Siegfried returns and he's like... Mima, stepfather who I hate so much, or adopted father who I despise. <laughs> Daddy. Daddy who I despise. Um, how's the progress coming on that sword? And Mima says, I can't do it. I'm not able to do it. And he says, but I learned that the person who is able to do it is a per- is the one who does not know fear. And so... Then uh, Siegfried essentially says, well, if you can't do it, I'm going to try and do this myself. And Mima starts to realize that if Siegfried is successful, then that means that Siegfried is the person that could kill the dragon, Fafner, and get the gold back. But he's also the person who will be the cause of his own death, Mm -hmm. right? Mima's death. And so this puts him into a bit of a conundrum. And so then he says to Siegfried, he basically starts manipulating him to try and instill in him a plan and kind of Mima's attempting to get Siegfried to defeat the dragon, but then also not kill him in the process of all of this. So Mima decides that since Siegfried is probably the person who does not know fear, that the only way to save himself from being killed by Siegfried is to instill fear in him. And so, (laughs) right? (laughs) Great plan. So Mima tells him, you know, Siegfried... Fear is an essential craft to being a warrior, and it's going to be essential for recovering, slaying the dragon and recovering this ring. And so he says, I'm going to teach you fear by taking you to Fafner. And this is like, you need to learn how to fear to like complete your life, I guess. And then Siegfried says, all right, I'll do that, but I need my sword. So I'm going to try and reforge this sword myself. And so then there's this amazing scene uh the reforging of the sword Notung, where Siegfried is successful and it's a huge sing, like the actual size of the voice that you need to sing this scene is just incredible because it's like the full brass is going and the orchestra really does kind of paint the picture of the bellows that are being used in the blacksmith shop. So like just an intense sound. And of course, as he's reforging this ring oftentimes in productions there's like sparks flying as he hits the metal and the hitting of the metal or is the rhythm is like in the score and uh he's also singing the light motif for or you hear the light motif for the sword for no tune as well listen sounds cool i think we should it's probably my favorite scene in this whole opera Thank you. 
So he's successful in forging this sword. Duh. And then he, the scene ends with him demonstrating the power of the sword by actually chopping the anvil in half. So, oh, damn. Yeah. So it's clear that A, the forging was successful, right. and also that Siegfried is not going to break this one, right? And Mima, yep. like, literally shits his pants. Right. <laughs> well, sort of. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that is what happened. Mima's like, oh no. Oh, no. <laughs> but because Mima's, you know, even though he hasn't, before he actually sees the success of this, he's afraid of what's going to happen. And so the whole time that uh, Siegfried is forging the sword, Mima is brewing a poison. Oh no. Oh, damn, dun, Mima. Dun, Come on. Dun. And his whole plan is to like, feed the poison to Siegfried immediately after he slays the dragon. Right. We'll it sounds like well it's a goes. self a self-fulfilling prophecy. Like yeah. if if Mima didn't try so hard to stop Siegfried, he it probably would have been fine. Well, isn't that the way of things? Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Act 2. Hey yo. We are <laughs> deep <laughs> deep in the forest. Mm. The wanderer aka Votan makes it to Fafnir's cave first. Ah, and here we find out where Alberic is. Alberic is basically sitting in front of the cave, um, you know, hoping that someone will come along to kill Fafnir. <laughs> I'm just going to wait aggressively. <laughs> right. He's, that's that's cherry picking is, is the term that we would use <laughs> yeah. for that. Yeah. A sporting term, yes. <laughs> so... Immediately, Alberic recognizes Votan, and we know that they're enemies, and he's like, Votan, buddy, I don't know what you're doing here, because I've set a plan in motion to get this ring back, and you don't stand a chance. And (laughs) Votan says to him, oh, don't worry, Alberic, I have no plans of interfering. I'm just here to watch. And Votan says to him, you know what? I'll even wake Fafner up for you so that you can, you know, talk with him and make a bargain with him if you like. And I'll just do like the dirty deed of waking him up um, and you can do whatever you like from that point onward. And Albrecht doesn't say like, okay. Well, Albrecht actually goes and warns the dragon that somebody is going to try to to kill him. Mm -hmm. And he's like, and, you know... In payment for this little tidbit of really good inside info, I think um, that if I kill this person who's going to come kill you, that you should give me the ring. So he's basically like, I'll make a deal with you. I'll kill the guy first. I feel like this is going to end badly for someone. Right? Like, I'll, I know this guy's going to try and come and kill you. So if I kill him first, will you give me the ring? And Fafner just basically <laughs>, laughs in his face. And he's like, I'm going back to sleep. Right. <laughs> Literally. He's, he's like, no, thank you. Okay, bye. Back to sleep. Um, and so Votan leaves and Alberic walks out of the cave as well. And he's like muttering threats like to himself, to Votan, to Fafner. I'm not sure to whom. Mm. And that's how Act 2, Scene 1 ends. Mm-hmm. All right. At the beginning of Scene 2... Siegfried and Mima arrive at the cave and they're they're near the cave and Mima is kind of like, there you go, stepson. The dragon is right through there. Uh, If you go and attempt to slay him, that will teach you what fear is and then your life will be complete. Mm 
And so Siegfried, now left alone, basically, like, hunkers down at the opening to the cave, and he's just kind of, like, waiting for the dragon to wake up. And this is when he's, you know, he's deep in the forest, so he's surrounded by wildlife, and he hears a little bird singing. And Siegfried attempts to mimic the bird's song, so he, like, makes a little reed pipe, and he tries to mimic it, but he's unsuccessful. And then he's like, huh, maybe this horn that I'm carrying around will be easier for me to mimic this song. Wait, what, where'd this horn come from? He, like, carries a horn with him, like a hunting horn. Because he's a hunter, right? Classic. Classic hunter horn, you know. And so then he plays a little tune on his horn, trying to mimic the wood bird. Mm -hmm. And then... Is it a French horn in the orchestra? uh, Yes, it is a French horn in the orchestra. And it's probably the most stressful part of the whole ring cycle for the horn player because it's completely alone. Like, there's nothing else happening in the orchestra. And the horn player is actually not in the pit. They're usually in the wings so that they can see when the singer playing Siegfried, like, lifts the hunting horn to his mouth. Right. And they have to, like, play in sync with Siegfried's movements. Um, Oh, we got to listen to that. Yeah. So it's, it's a good scene. I mean, it's just a horn alone, but it's very well known. It's a big moment because it's the horn call and... It is, you know, the moment that every horn player probably simultaneously uh, loves and fears all at the same time. (laughs) A horn alone. The horn alone. The horn has no name. (laughs) The horn that has no name. Everything else in this opera has a name but the horn. I feel like the French horn is one of the most difficult instruments to play. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I just, it's, it often is so exposed. And that's, I mean, I, I feel like I listen intently to the orchestra, but I usually don't pick out errors from the orchestra. <laughs> but if I'm going to I hear it. <laughs> but seriously, if I'm going to hear something that was flubbed in the orchestra, usually it's from the French horn. Well, well, part of the reason that the French horn is actually, like, one of the most difficult instruments to play, especially one of the most difficult brass instruments to play, is that it's actually the smallest mouthpiece of every brass instrument. Oh. And so, you like, it is the smallest, tightest uh, lip 
embouchure or like the muscles in your lip (laughs) have to be so incredibly controlled in order to produce sound. And it's very, very easy because the actual space that you have to work with in the mouthpiece is so tiny Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. it's it's very easy for the note to flip into the overtone series because of like the speed of the air and like the space that you have to work with. And so it is actually like there's a lot written about reasons why the French horn is so incredibly hard to play. And Mm -hmm. the mouthpiece is a big part of that. Interesting. Didn't I know? Yeah. So Siegfried, he blows his horn. (laughs) He plays his horn. Plays his horn. Is there anything that's yielded from this horn playing? Well, do animals dance? Animals don't dance, but let's just imagine if you're playing a hunting horn at the opening of a cave where a dragon is sleeping, what do you think is going to happen? You wake Mm. up the dragon. That's right. He woke up the dragon with his horn playing. Here he is just trying to like innocently mimic a bird that he hears and he wakes up the dragon. I feel like as you're watching the opera, I feel like the audience member is like, dude, you're going to wake up this dragon if you keep playing your horn like that. Right. (laughs) There, he did not have a, sen- a friend to talk some sense into him. So, uh, <laughs> I mean, but he wanted the dragon to wake up, right? He did, and so at this point, he's like, "Oh, hello, dragon!" And uh, Fafner comes out of the cave, and they have a very short exchange, like short for Wagner, I guess. And then it's twenty minutes long, right? And Siegfried's <laughs> like, "All right, it's time to fight you." And so he like takes a pass at Fafner, and like very early on in this in this. Uh, combat he literally stabs Fafner in the heart with no tongue and oh. yeah and How does this materialize on stage that is a very good question mm. so uh, it's usually like a big dragon head like you don't really see the whole dragon you see like his head poke out of mm. a cave ah uh, okay yeah so Fafner so stabbed so in the heart dead well, stabbed in the heart, he's dying, and mm. Fafner's like, at least tell me your name. Like, you have slain me. And Siegfried's like, my name is Siegfried. And Fafner's last <laughs> words are, be careful, the world is a treacherous place. Someone's going to betray you. <gasps> so, my name is Siegfried. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> then uh, he takes the sword out of Fafner's body, and... As he, like, goes to clean the blood off of his sword, the blood actually burns his fingers. And so, the dragon blood. And then Siegfried's like, ow, my finger. So he puts his finger into his mouth to try and stop the burning. And by doing this, he has licked the blood of the dragon. What happens when you do that? Same thing that happens when the spider bites Spider-Man. He gets, like, a magic power. Ooh, cool. What? I thought you were going to say it's like poisonous, like no, poisonous dragon No, blood. it gives him like a magic power. And the magic power is that he can speak bird. So. <laughs> <laughs> what a useless <laughs> thing. No, this is actually quite useful. all the powers to have. Yeah. From a dragon. <laughs> From a dragon. He's like, you, you can talk to birds. I didn't realize birds. that dragons and birds could communicate. Yeah. That's a- excellent. Apparently they so can. There's <laughs> <laughs> Siegfried with his huge sword and a horn prancing around the woods in a bearskin outfit. It's like, my name's Siegfried. I can talk to birds. Yes, (laughs) You know, guys, there is, I will say scientifically, there's a a reason. I I don't know if Wagner was thinking about this, but it turns out that uh, birds are descendants of dinosaurs. (gasps) That's true. Dinosaurs. So it makes sense that the the dragon 
which I feel like is like a dinosaur. Right. <laughs> Communicate with birds. <laughs> I think we can run with that. <laughs> oh, enough with that. Enough. <laughs> you Jurassic lover. Best okay. movie ever. Okay. All right. So being able to understand what the wood bird is actually singing about, this bird <laughs> that he was trying to mimic earlier with his horn, uh, the bird actually says to him, Hey, Siegfried, now that you've slain the dragon, I think you need to take that ring and take the magic hat and get out of here. <laughs> All right. Ass bird. All right. Duh. All right. And so, thanks for that. Thanks like for that Captain valuable obvious. information, Jesus. bird. Well, you like, think what, you, what else was I going to do? Hang out here? Okay. No, but but Siegfried, I don't think Mima ever actually told him that he was slaying Fafner in order to recover the gold because Mima wants the gold, right? And Alberic wants mm-hmm. the gold. And so they only gave him as much information as he needed to know to accomplish the task, mm-hmm. right? And so he didn't actually know that the gold was there. But now that the Woodbutters told him, he takes the ring, he takes the Tarnhelm, and he leaves. End of scene two. Okay. Now, scene three, outside of the cave... Alberic and Mima are there and they start to argue over who should get the treasure. And then they notice Siegfried coming out of the cave. So Alberic ducks and hides and it's just Siegfried and Mima and Siegfried basically starts whining again to Mima. And he's like, Mima, you told me that if I slayed Fafner or at least faced him, that I would know what fear is. But like, guess what? I wasn't afraid. I didn't feel fear. (laughs) And then Mima's like, they're there, adopted son. Have something to drink. You've worked hard today. No. Oh, and poison. He offers him the poison. And Siegfried drinks it. But remember, he has dragon's blood in his yeah. system. Oh. Dragon so powers. The power of the dragon's blood means that Siegfried is able to actually read Mima's mind. Yes. What? So before that's infinitely cooler than talking to birds, yeah. <laughs> right? So before he actually they should have led in- with that one, yeah. right? Before he ingests the the poisonous drink, me uh, before he drinks the poisonous drink, Siegfried hears Mima's thoughts and realizes that Mima's trying to kill him, and so Siegfried stabs Mima instead, okay. and nice. then. He throws Mima's body into the cave with the treasure and he puts Fafner's body in front of the entrance to the cave so that nobody else can get in. Mm -hmm. Oh, damn. Yeah. Then the bird comes back and the bird's like, good job, Siegfried. Now it's time for you to go to this giant rock that's surrounded by fire because there's a woman in the middle. And What's his nosy ass bird? Well, the bird's trying to help him. Is the bird a singing role in the opera? Yes, it is. Isn't it a soprano? Okay. The wood bird? I, I guess so. And Siegfried is a yes. tenor? Siegfried is definitely a tenor. Yes, yes. What about Mima? Mima is a tenor as well. Ah, okay. The wood bird is a soprano. No. The Waldfuge. Okay. Yeah. Wotan is still a bass baritone. Still a bass baritone. Alberic is a baritone. Fafner the dragon is a bass. And we have yet to meet them, but coming up, you're going to hear Erda and Brunhilda. Erda, the earth goddess, is a contralto. Brunhilda is a soprano. Noise. Is Erda a contralto in Rheingold? 
She's always a contralto. Yeah, it's always oh. the same person. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that I forgot that she was a contralto. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah, the voice types remain consistent when the characters reappear throughout each opera. Right, right. Which which makes sense because in theory, you should be able to see all of the operas with the same singers. Correct. Over. Yeah. Like a cycle. All right. Yes. So this bird is like, hey, if you go to this rock, there's a woman in a ring of fire. You might want to check that out. <laughs> yes. And and the bird says, um, maybe. And so the the bird says to him, there's a woman. She's surrounded by a ring of fire. You need to go there to this rock and find her. And Siegfried decides, maybe if I do that, I'll learn what fear is. And I need to know what fear is to complete my life. So I'll do what the bird says. And he starts going off to find the rock. Mm-hmm. Act three. <gasps> Scene one, we're at the base of the rock where Brunhilde is surrounded by fire and the wanderer slash Votan summons Erda, the earth goddess. And remember that Erda is the mother of Brunhilde, right? Oh, oh right. 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 And so basically they're like, her mother and father are now like, having a little conversation at the base of the rock where she's encircled by Ring of Fire in a deep sleep. And... For the past 18 years. For the past 18 years, yes. And Votan says to Erda, I need your advice. Uh, I don't know what to do. Everything is so messed up. And then he says, you know, I don't even think that like the gods coming to an end is a bad thing maybe it's a good thing maybe it's what needs to happen maybe we need to let everything with the ring run its course and stop trying to protect ourselves so much and he says you know what if the gods come to an end then i'll leave everything to siegfried and and brunhilde and but brunhilde oh she was made into a mortal woman she's made into a mortal woman so she's no longer like attached to the realm of the gods and so Votan's basically saying maybe if i let the gods burn and become destroyed like the world will be redeemed through siegfried and brunhilde mm-hmm. and erida is basically like i'm not really sure what to tell you <laughs> right she's like i don't know about that i don't know um i can't really offer you any advice and then she sinks back into the earth and disappears <laughs> useless scene thanks Erda. <laughs> useless <laughs> well scene. i think the most important part of that scene is that we learn that votan perhaps is not going to try and prevent the destruction of the gods mm-hmm. right that's okay. the whole point of that one all right scene two uh siegfried arrives at the rock where brunhilde is encircled by fire and the wanderer starts to ask him questions and just remember that basically Siegfried is talking to his grandfather without knowing it, <laughs> right? His grandfather also like leader of the gods. Yes, his and also just to put this into his perspective, his grandfather also the grand uh, his grandfather who is also the father of Brunhilde. Oh, right. Right. So how does auntie, that make them Auntie Auntie Brunhilde. Brunhilde. They are <laughs> half siblings. No. No, no. No. She's his aunt. She's his aunt. God, she's his, his half aunt. His half aunt. Right? Yeah. 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 An aunt. She's the Daenerys to his Jon Snow. <gasps> oh, right. <laughs> oh, man. Wouldn't it be great if we found out that that was like an, an influence into... Oh. Well, I guess that... We don't know if that was a something that was contrived by George R.R. R. Martin or not. Right. Because it didn't... 
the book hasn't been written. Right. It has not. Go right, anyway. Where are you, Winds of Winter? Okay. Okay. So, the Wanderer slash Votan basically is, like, trying to block Siegfried from getting access to Brunhilde. And Siegfried is kind of like, move aside, old man. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, he starts mocking him. He basically is like, who do you think you are? You're just an old guy that's like dressed weird. You have a weird hat. Um, and Votan. Whoa. Yeah. I don't think Siegfried <laughs> is in any position to comment on anyone's fucking hat. Well, he's wearing his little magic he, hat. He's got a little magic hat right there. He is, he's basically a stupid teenager. Like he's full of himself and he, and he that's doesn't really, know fear. Okay. He doesn't know fear. He also clearly doesn't know when he's being rude. Mm-hmm. And so he's like, move aside, old man, you're annoying and you look weird. And, um, and Votan's like, no, I'm like, you can't push me aside this easily. And then Siegfried's like, oh, yes, I can. And he takes Notung and he kind of like swipes at Votan and he doesn't hit Votan, but Heavens. he hits Votan's spear. And remember, Ooh. this is very important, that the spear that Votan carries is where he writes all of the oaths and treaties since he's the god of oaths and treaties, right? Uh-oh. So the spear is like a symbol of Votan's power. Mm-hmm. And so the fact that Siegfried just like shattered it to pieces with one blow from Notung is like a symbolic moment that the gods have officially been broken. Like the power of the gods is <sighs> going to crumble. And well, also, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. Well, and so what Votan does is he doesn't really, you know, fight back. He just calmly picks up all of the pieces of the spear and disappears. Huh. I was going to say also it was that spear that shattered Vot or Notung in the in Divalcura at the same time. Yes. That's so true. in in Divalcura, it is Votan's Votan and his power and his spear that basically. Um, shifted the the power in the fight between Zygmunt and, and Hunding so that the ultimate result was Zygmunt's death, right? But it is the dawn of a new era. Right. And he shattered Notung the sword into many pieces with that in that particular moment. So, yes, Although, very important, the symbolism in this scene. Also interesting that Votan created the sword, created uh, Notung. Well, we don't know if Votan created it, but we know that he plunged it into the tree uh, at Zieglinda's wedding, hmm. right? Okay. All right. Yeah. So, Votan leaves. Votan right. leaves. Siegfried is free to... Bye, granddaddy daddy. Go kiss his aunt. Right. So then, Siegfried, this is the last scene of the opera, Siegfried, Siegfried passes through the ring of fire... Um. And I'm waiting for some kind of ring of fire joke from Kyle. That's never going to come. <laughs> nope. Uh-huh. You know, I, I, re- I refrained, but I mean, if you want it, I can really. <laughs> you missed the moment. <sighs> All right. Just like that easy peasy lemon squeezy, he walks through the ring of fire and he sees Brunhilde sleeping uh, in the middle, and he thinks that the person sleeping is a man, and so he goes and he like removes some of the armor to see <laughs> who it is, and when he removes the armor, he's like, "Holy crap, that's a woman!" OMG! <laughs> and Her. apparently, oh, get this, get this, people, Brunhilde, 
the sleeping Brunhilde inside the Ring of Fire is the first woman that Siegfried has ever seen. Oh, Wait, so wow. how does he know it's a woman? <laughs> I guess he's like heard about them. Okay. But never <laughs> seen he's one. He's like, damn, she's fine. He's like, that looks like a breast. Right. From what I've <laughs> seen in my, sto- my storybooks. Right. From what the birds have told me. <laughs> what the birds have told me. <laughs> I've heard about these. Yeah. They're just as good as I hoped they oh, would be. God. Hey, Naomi, wow. <laughs> well, Ugh, I'm not hurt. kidding. He leans down oh, and no. he. He kisses her. Oh, okay. On the mouth, right? Yes, yeah. okay. on the mouth. mouth and he actually does so okay. because he's like, oh my goodness, I feel this thing inside me. I don't know what it is. I think <laughs> it's fear. I think it's fear. Uh, it's not fear. You're horny. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, oh. I feel strange. What's happening to me? I think I'm afraid. And then when he's like, I think I'm afraid, he's like, this will help. And he bends down and he kisses Brunhilde. Oh, Jesus. And of course, this kiss wakes her up from her sleep. Right. Right. Wow. And at, at and then first, what does she do? Does she punch so him like, in the face? So it's like, you know, it's like a Sleeping Beauty moment. <laughs> oh, wakes her up. Okay. She's not like, back off, buddy. Oh, at first, Brunhilde is quite hesitant, but it's obvious that Siegfried is like madly in love with her from the get-go. And Brunhilde's like, I don't know about this. Like, we just met and mm-hmm. I come with a I lot of she, baggage. I thought she kind of foresaw this happening, though. Like, that was a whole desire for the Ring of Fire is to make sure that it was only Siegfried that could save her. Well, she didn't know it would Not be him Siegfried. specifically. Just yeah. someone who was uh, okay. worthy, a warrior worthy of, of her. her. Yeah. Okay. How did he get through the fire, by the way? You just walk just through. Just walk through. Apparently, Damn. you just need oh, to walk through. He has through. dragon powers. He's, He's dragon got dragon powers. powers. Yeah. Oh. Nice. And at that point, so he is still. He the Daenerys in at, this situation? At that point, he still didn't know what fear was, <laughs> right? So he was like, fire? No problem. Right. And walked right through. Okay. So Brunhilde is a little bit hesitant at first, but then she slowly in Wagner, but very surely falls in love with him. And she's basically like, you know what? I definitely renounce the world of the gods. I'm never going back there. I decide that I'm going to live forever with you, my love, Siegfried. Hmm. And together, the opera ends with them basically singing... um, that they are going to bask in the light bringing love and laughing at death. Wow. Da, 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 That's da, optimistic da. for the ring. It is optimistic. Also, note she doesn't realize that he is her nephew. Does she figure that out at some point? I don't think she actually does. If she does, I bet she like, does, and she's like, eh. It, like if she does, I doubt there's she'd have a problem with it. There's not a big deal made of it, and also, of like, of course not. All of like at least in. Earlier in the story, Fricka had a big problem with Zieglinda and Zygmunt. But, but she's the only one. Isn't she kind of portrayed as like this naggy, naggy bitch? Kind of, <laughs> unfortunately, even though she's like a voice of reason. Gotta keep that family tree a straight line. <laughs> so, <laughs> Although so, yes. I guess Brunhilde, if, certainly if she knew that Siegfried's name was Siegfried, then she would know that this is the Siegfried that is her nephew. Because she was the one that told Siegmund that... That's true. Or no, sorry, Sieglinda, that like, hey, you you have a baby. His name is going to be Siegfried. What? But wait, wait, wait. Now I'm confused. Is Siegfried actually her nephew? Yes. Because... 
Well, so her dad is his grandfather. Yeah. Her half-brother yes. is yeah. his dad. Right. Which means so, aunt. Yeah. yeah, totally right. aunt. So no, she's right. right. Okay, all right. Yeah, you would think that she would put the pieces together. I'm sure she did. And she and probably was, knows. And was just yeah, like... Yeah, she just doesn't care. Eh. And I have to say that unlike the scene with Sieglinda and Zygmunt where <laughs> Zygmunt actually sings like, Sister and bride, yay! There is no analogous moment that I know of. I could be wrong. Nephew and husband. (laughs) I could be wrong because I'm not a ring expert, people. But from everything I've seen, there isn't a moment where that is like acknowledged and then celebrated. No one really says anything. You could say she's a bit of a cougar. I mean, you could say a lot of things. That is not the first thing. No, she she was she was like frozen. She was asleep in time. Uh, So I I don't think she's actually older than him significantly in terms of like how long how much her body has aged, even though she's existed for. Yeah. Who knows? Who knows? Who can say? There's a lot to unpack there. The whole thing's bananas. That's all I can say. You know, this seems it seems like the opera though is kind of an upper. Whereas, oh yeah, the end of it is like a, a nice yeah. scene. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> it's a nice it's scene. A nice it's a nice. He's got his magic hat. He's got, he's his, got magic his ring. Hat. And like she's awake, other, she's no longer no longer encased in fire. Like he's been brave and you know shattered everything that needs to be shattered. All this kind of stuff. So, well, is wow. it bravery when you don't know fear and you just like? doing it because you don't know any better isn't the definition of bravery being scared shitless but doing it anyway i feel like that's from a movie elspeth probably i'm very smart (laughs) i was gonna say wow this also goes into the question and fricka's point was that like these Volsung people, whether it's Zygmunt and Zyglinda or their son Siegfried, like they're not actually acting of their own free will or discovering these things on their own like the only reason that Siegfried has the ring now is because the bird told him, and that's the only reason he goes to Brunhilde's rock. And you know who is controlling the bird and telling him to it's go there? The fucking oh, is it bird. Erda? I don't know for sure, but I think we can just assume that, or I assume personally that it's the it's Votan that's like, you know, meddling or controlling the situation so that Siegfried is led toward the correct fate. Right. So which everything was Ar- is predestined which was, and yeah. no one has any free will. Like, well, Siegfried doesn't, which was Fricka's point, was right. that, you know, if you create these people and they have no free will, then they're not outside of your treaties because they're just pawns. Pawns. In, in your, your game. In your game. Yes. In your game. In your game, in your game of, of Thrones. In your game of Thrones. In your game of, of rings, Thrones. Really. You, you win or you die? What, what's the, in the game of Thrones? You win or you die. Oh, okay. That's it. Right? Yeah. I hope everybody's enjoying the final season of Game of Thrones that is airing as this episode is released. Yes. I'm enjoying it. So good. (laughs) Right. You know nothing, Jon Snow. You know nothing, Jon Snow. Well, thank you again, Naomi, for taking us through Siegfried. Yeah, We're I'm now super excited. Three quarters of the way. For the Twilight of the Gods. <laughs> That's right. 
The Twilight of the Gods. Mm, 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 I mean, mm. I wasn't kidding when I said the story is twisted. So we so next oh, we have a marathon to go still with God of Demer, I'm not going to no. lie, but it I will think be the end. It will be the end, and so you know at least that will be it. In sight, right? Very nice. Well, of course, as always, we'll be posting on social media. You can find us at operaafterdark.com. Perhaps more importantly, you can find us at operaafterdark.com slash Patreon. Yes, please. If you want to support the podcast. Also, leave a review wherever you're listening to this podcast. And we'll be back with you next week learning all about Gotterdammerung to finish out the ring. With that, I'm Kyle. I'm Elspeth. I'm Naomi, and thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. Bye.